Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Just the Good Stuff. This is your host, Rachel Mansfield. And for the first time in what feels like forever, I am actually sitting at my desk. I'm so excited I can barely speak. You guys know that for the last few weeks, I have been recording intros and episodes in my closet. Um, But I so politely asked Jordan if I could just sit at my desk for a few moments. He conveniently is eating lunch right now. So I was able to steal my seat back. I'm like used to record all my podcast episodes here and have guests. And it's giving me like a sense, a sense of normalcy um, during, during this time at home still. But for those of you who are new to the podcast, welcome. I am so excited to have you listening today. And if you're not familiar with me, I am a cookbook author, recipe developer. Uh, my book is called Also Just the Good Stuff. And you can find me over on Instagram at Rachel Mansfield. And I focus on making healthy food taste delicious. At least that is the intention behind all of my recipes. I'm also a mama to Ezra, wife to Jordan, and all pretty much obsessed with all things female hormones. So you can only imagine how excited I am to introduce today's guest. I had the absolute pleasure of chatting for, I think we spoke for almost three hours if you add up both episodes with Elisa Vitti. Now, Elisa, if you are not familiar with her, which I have a feeling majority of you are because when I teased this podcast episode over on Instagram, you guys went crazy, but she is the hormone guru whisperer, like period gene. Like she is the it person when it comes to all things female hormones and knowing how to track your cycle and how to feel your best during each part of the cycle. And our original, um, our first conversation, it was it went by so fast. And by the end of it, I realized I hadn't asked any of the questions for the Q&A that you guys had submitted that we did a part two. So this is part one of our chat with Elisa. And then there's a part two that will be coming out as the next episode. So stay tuned for that. If you don't hear any of the questions or topics you guys sent in, don't worry. I address pretty much everything um, in the next episode. But in today's episode, we dive into Elisa's new book called In the Flow, which I link to over in the show notes. Elisa, I first fell absolutely in love with her when she had written the book Woman Code. And I had found that book when I was really struggling with my hormones. I I've had hypothalamic amenorrhea. You guys know, especially if you've listened to previous episodes, I also struggled with infertility. And because of all of these, I don't want to call them, they are issues, but because of them and all these struggles, I really have found such a passion for understanding the female body. And I'm by no means an expert or a whiz in this this situation because I'm still dealing with my own um, journey of balancing my hormones. But I do just love what Elisa does so much. And I believe in it so, so much. And she just really breaks it down for us. And we're able to understand what she's saying. And it just, I wish I had a reference like this when I was in fifth grade and was learning what a period was. I wish Elisa was out there talking when I was in elementary school and middle school and learning about my body. So in today's episode, we talk a lot about her new book. She breaks down cycle syncing for us, which is pretty much 
how you should be eating and working out and your sex life and all the things during each part of your cycle throughout the month. And we talk about intermittent fasting and her thoughts on that. We talk a little bit about discharge. We, You guys, this is a wealth of knowledge in this episode and, and in the next one. So definitely have a pen and paper or take notes on your phone or whatever works best for you guys. Highly, highly recommend jotting down all the things that she talks about and then ordering both of her. I think both of her books are amazing, but definitely order her newest book, In the Flow, if you haven't already. So let me know what you guys think of this episode and we will talk soon. If you guys do have a few moments when you are listening to this episode or after or when you're going to the bathroom or whatever, whenever it is, if you would like to rate and review the podcast, it could take less than one minute. It would mean the world to me. Um, all of the reviews and, ra- and ratings really help the podcast grow and spread the word. And I also really just love hearing from you. I love hearing your favorite episodes. I love when you guys screenshot that you're listening and tag me over on your stories if you post. And it just really helps me know what guests resonate best with you guys, what topics and you guys are truly my everything in, in, in my community. So please, please let me know what you think of this episode and rate and review if you feel so inclined. And I'm actually going to read the most recent one. Um, oh, this is actually a funny subject line. It says skeptic to skeptic to believer. Ooh, okay. This is by MM underscore CC underscore VV. Living in NYC too, something about Rachel feels connected to me. When she released her podcast, I kind of wondered, hmm, what will she speak on? Will I like it? I I said the same thing. Don't worry. And now here I find myself with two episodes left after binging the entire library in a three long car trips. And I don't want them to end. I love her style of interviewing and her guests. It's like listening in on a friend's chatting. It's entertaining, informative, joyful, and uplifting. Thank you, Rachel, for waking up one morning and making this podcast happen. To be honest with you, that is exactly how it happened. I will definitely share that story another time, but I was this was probably one of the one of the most spontaneous things that I have done. But then again, starting my blog and writing the book and all of those ideas were not sought out and I never thought about thought about them in, in in advance. I just would kind of wake up one day and wanted to try something new, which is definitely my style, my style of working. And before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Spindrift. Now, if you guys follow me over on Instagram, you know, for the last, I want to say like three, three years or so, I have been partnering with Spindrift, which is a dream come true. They are my absolute favorite sparkling beverage. We pretty much go through, if I had to count, I want to say about 10 to 15 cases per month. I'm not kidding. Jordan and I drink one to two per day. My father-in-law pretty much has an IV of Spindrift in his arm at all times. He loves it so much. But what we love the most about Spindrift is it's simple. It's simple. It's to the point. It's sparkling water with real fruit squeezed into it. There's no natural flavors. There's no artificial anything. Like natural flavors, you you don't even know what they are half the time. And I just love what they're doing and it's absolutely delicious. You almost feel like it's like I, the lemon one is my favorite one. And when you crack open a can, you take a sip and you truly think it's like seltzer with real lemon squeezed in because that's what it is. It's awesome. The pineapple is brand new, which is amazing. The half and half is Jordan's favorite. My personal two faves, pineapple and lemon. Jordan loves half and half. We also love using the lime. You can mix it with mocktails, cocktails, 
anything you want. I link to it over in my Amazon on my shop page, but you can also snag it in most grocery stores. It's also in like Sweet Green and Kava and all those like fast casual restaurants too. So definitely check them out if you haven't already. And now let's dive into today's episode. I'd love to kind of start with the basics and backtrack a little bit. Um, And we'll first want to introduce yourself and say who you are for anyone who is new, new to your community. I'm Elisa Vitti. I'm a, a functional nutrition and women's hormone expert. I am the founder of Flow Living, which is this virtual center. We've been virtual since 2012. Who knew that was a, a good idea Perfect. back in the day? <laughs> so we've been taking care of women's hormones and cycles and fertility and perimenopause uh, for uh, since since 2012. Prior to that, I was in. Uh, I had my own clinical practice for a decade in Midtown Manhattan. Um, I'm the author of two books. One is called Woman Code, and that's a book uh, if you are someone who's got a diagnosed condition like PCOS or fibroids or endometriosis, and you're looking for natural ways uh, to resolve that uh, without medication. And then I wrote uh, a, a new book that just came out in at the end of this January 28th, 2020. Um, I know our pub dates were close. There, you got it. No, I have it. Of course I have it. And the woman code's right up there. Oh my God, I love it. And um, that is a very special book because, I mean, and I don't want to go fully into it, but I you know, have been in the women's health space for just about 20 years now. and. In the past five years, Rachel, I was kind of uh, looking at the fact that we have like this renaissance in, you know, talking about periods, social online, you know, I've been participating in, you know, writing or being interviewed for all these articles and different media outlets about healthy menstruation. This has never happened before in, in modern human history, <laughs> let me assure you. So for someone like me, who's like, you know, the, the period queen, I'm like, wow, this is great. This must mean things are going to finally get better. So I've been, wa- I've been tracking it for the past five years. And I've been just, the, the logical equation is if we have more content about how to take care of ourselves, and we all have more connectivity via the internet to access this content, that should equal healthy, more healthier women. But that wasn't the case. And so that led me down the, the journey to write this second book called In the Flow, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. And then finally, um, I am the femtech creator of a very, uh, very beloved app called MyFlow, which tracks your period and also helps you make your period better every month. So yeah, all things hormones are, it's my jam. Well, you're the hormone guru, like the woman's health whisper you're the period whisperer in my opinion like you the woman code it was next to my bedside for the longest time I would like read it and read it and read it over again just absorbing all of the information because all of that was so new to me and even though I didn't have a period then and really up until like I said three days ago I (laughs) like I did have a period when I was younger and just like learning all of the ins and outs and when you would talk about things like it made so much sense and the whole concept of like cycle thinking was so new to me. And that's something that's especially taken off in the last few years, but you're like the original creator of like cycle thinking, like you broke it down for us. Like you said, like, this is, you know, your flickier phase, your, you actually taught me what the phases are. Like 
follicular, ovulatory, uh, luteal, menstrual. Like, I didn't even know what those meant and that there was different foods that you can eat during those times. And especially now in the flow, there's, it's all about the lifestyle during that time. And it makes so much more sense now to me after reading it. And everyone should pick up both your books because they're like Bibles, in my opinion. But I'd love for you to break down cycle syncing for us. What is it? And like, break down the cycles, like give us like the uterus 101. You want to go right into it. Okay. Yeah. So yes, I am the creator of the cycle syncing method. And, um, and the reason why I created it, like I said, was because I was looking at um, what is it really going to take for women to stay healthy, right? Because as I sort of share in Woman Code, we're, we, it's not easy out there for ovaries these days, as I say. You know, you've got chemical disruptors, um, xenoestrogens, you've got a, and a lifestyle that's generally disruptive to our bodies. And so the, pro, the flow protocol in Woman Code can certainly help you restore your cycle um, or, you know, bring back balance. But what do you do after you're done with like the triage, the cleanup, you know, you throw out all your toxic chemicals, you do it, but like, how do you stay healthy for the long term? And really, when I dove into the phases of the cycle and the, and the studies that I was sort of digging up for in the flow, um, it became obvious that we needed a new way to do self-care. And I'll back up, I'm, I'm 100% going to answer your question, but I just want to back up oh, and give okay. a tiny little bit of perspective, which is, so you know, as I said earlier, when I was asking myself this question of like, well, why are so many women sick? And I was like, well, what's the real deal? What's the real statistic? What's the number? And it turns out it's 47% of women are suffering with hormone issues. And so so whether that's like having painful periods or lack of periods or like anything, infertility, like you name it. And when I look and I said, okay, okay, well, should I judge that as a large statistic or, you know, let me put it into perspective. So the obvious compare and contrast is to look at the male cohort, right? What is the degree of hormonal imbalance that men are suffering with? And it's like under 10%. So I was like, okay, why, why is that happening? What's underneath that? And so it's two things. And this is what led me into really um, creating the cycle syncing method. The first thing is that women are being left out of medical fitness and nutrition research. That's really important because let's say you're someone who is like me, who likes to read up on what's healthy and what what you should be doing. And you've read maybe intermittent fasting is like the new gold standard or high intensity interval training is the best way to work out. Or keto, you've tried keto or paleo and you something starts to go wrong. You don't feel good. Or you're not losing the weight that if weight is a thing that you're trying to deal with that you thought you would be losing or your period stop. Um, I can't tell you how many women have written to us at Flow Living saying, you know, gee, I did this whole paleo thing. And then like all of us on the forum who are doing this together, like we our periods have gone MIA, right? So, you know, what that means is that all the things that you're reading about that are good for you, they're good for men. And sometimes postmenopausal women, but the vast majority of research is being done on men, and then it is being shared as if it is applicable to you, and that's making us sick because clearly it's not the same. It's not applicable in the same way. 
And I'll, I'll dive into that a little bit more. And then the second thing that you need to know, and if you forget everything else that we talk about today, I want you to remember this so you know it's important, is that women have in their reproductive years a second biological rhythm that no one is talking about. And in fact, In the Flow is the first book to talk about it. And it is called the infradian rhythm. And this infradian rhythm is only active during your reproductive years, but it affects six key systems of your body, your brain, your metabolism, your microbiome, your immune system, your stress response system, and your reproductive system. So if we look at these two parts of the equation, right? Not, all the things that you're trying to do to get healthy are fundamentally not designed for your biology. And you have this infradian rhythm that you don't even know about, but we know how important, for example, this taking care of our circadian rhythm is, right? Yeah. You are likely inadvertently, by accident, unknowingly disrupting your infradian rhythm. And that is why you feel brain foggy, your metabolism isn't working, your immune system's all over the place, your reproductive systems are not working, you have anxiety or depression. It's all connected via this. And it turns out, because men do not have this infradian rhythm and it is not being studied, that the intermittent fasting, the high-intensity interval training, all these things that are working really well to get men fit and healthy and brain-optimized and sexually optimized and everything else is making you feel worse because it is not taking, it's disrupting, it's coming in at a perpendicular and disrupting this infradian clock. So the cycle syncing method is a, a self-care practice where you eat and exercise and work or live basically in accordance with to support your infradian rhythm. Just like you know it makes good sense to like you would never sleep for five minutes and be up for three days, right? You know that's yeah. going to make you sick. Trust me, the things you're doing with your diet and exercise right now is the equivalent of going to sleep for five minutes and staying up for three days when it comes to how it's impacting your infradian rhythm. And this is what I want all women to know because there's a way out of feeling bad. Um, and it's, it's the cycle thinking method. Women have to know that because there's days and it's funny that this had happened because I've been doing, I'm not a big like fitness exercise, like guru, like I'm very low key and minimal as possible, but I do a lot of workouts from my friend, Melissa Wood. Like she has this amazing app. They're very gentle, like Pilates esque, and I can do like a 15 minute ab workout when I'm with Ezra in his playroom. And it's great. But for like two days leading up to when I got my unexpected period, I didn't want to move. Like I was so tired. I was so sluggish. I just wanted to relax and rest. And I kept saying to myself, this is so weird. Like I do this every, almost every day and I'm usually fine. Like what is going on? And then it came. And then I was like in the middle of reading the book. I'm like, that's why, because I'm supposed to be resting at this time of my cycle. And even this morning when I woke up, I'm like, I still can't do anything. Like, I'm just tired. I need to just relax and refuel. And you have such a pressure that you have to work out like five days a week and then you have to do this. And every time is so different. And I also even noticed like hunger cues have been very different for me than usual. I'm a lot hungrier now, which I don't know if that's how it's No, we're gonna, let, let's go into the phases because first of all, yeah. welcome to this. Welcome to the infradian party. I'm so excited. I was like, oftentimes, crying in the toilet. oftentimes pregnancy, you know, so when you're breastfeeding, you're kind of in like a quasi menopausal state, but now that you're done and you've, it's been a couple of months since you weaned, your body is 
you know, getting reactivated to the infradian rhythm. And so, you know, oftentimes pregnancy can be helpful for people who've had, um, you know, long stretches of an amenorrhea. That's what I was hoping. And then when it got to be three months post-nursing, my doctor was kind of like, okay, like, why don't you take synthetic Provera? Which I wasn't like totally adamant on at first, but I'm like, you know what? It's three months. She said it like, let's give it a whirl. I did it once. And when I was um, in my 20s, I think early 20s, and it didn't work. I didn't respond to it. And I took it in April. It was like a quick, I think three or five day, five days. And I don't know, maybe it was 10 days. I think it was 10 days. And I barely had, I had like a little bit of spotting. Like it was barely anything, but I considered it period because I was so excited. And then just randomly out of nowhere, this came. So I'm like, that came, I made so many like lifestyle changes too to try and get it back. But it's crazy. Like that kind of like may have kickstarted a little bit in combination with like, like off of nursing and having a baby. And also just like that in- internal feeling of just feeling maternal and embracing my femininity more. I think just being around Ezra gives me a period because like my ovaries hurt looking at him because I want a million more of him, uh, you know? Yeah, <laughs> um, I love that. Well, listen, let's, let's go into the phases because what you're describing to people, I think can be, is a, like a, a very commonly shared experience of feeling different. And, and it's so frustrating because, you know, you've been sold this, um, really toxic ideal, right? And the ideal is that somehow as a woman, you must contort, control yourself to be the same every day. And if you deviate from the sameness, then you're a failure, right? But really what's baked into that is that what's what's the same is the circadian pattern in men. Men's hormonal biology follows the circadian rhythm, right? And so it's a 24-hour cycle. And so they are the same at the same times every day, rinse and repeat, that's it. You, however, once once you hit puberty, the second clock gets activated and you are the same month over month, but in four patterns, right? Which map out onto your four phases. And so the whole effort and energy that you have been putting into to trying to not allow those fluctuations to take place, right? To fight like the fatigue if you have it or to restrict calories when you're feeling more hungry. And we're going to go into exactly what's happening with your metabolism across the month is is wasting your energy. It's diverting your creativity and your life force energy away from the things that you could be creating in the world. And it's not making you healthy, quite the opposite, right? So let's let's go into the four phases. You've got the follicular, the ovulatory, the luteal, and the menstrual. A lot of us know about ovulation because we're either afraid of getting pregnant or trying to get pregnant. <laughs> um, and a lot of us know about the menstrual phase because hello, Captain Obvious, you know, there's the blood. Okay. So, but the follicular phase is the phase right as your period ends, your bleed ends, and it's a you know seven, depending on how, you know, how regulated your cycle is, it can be about seven days. Um, And then you have your ovulation phase, three-ish days. And then you have the luteal phase, which is 10 to 12 days. And this is the phase that's the longest phase of the cycle. And then you have the bleeding phase, which again, can vary from four to seven days in a healthy cycle, right? So you've got about 28 days. 28 days is not the only perfect number 
I would say anywhere from 27 to 32 days is a healthy range. Um, as long as it's consistent for you, right? So if you are 27 days every month, that's healthy for you. If it starts bouncing around, that's not good, right? If you're 30 days every month, great, right? Whatever it is, as long as it's consistent. So you don't have to put this uh, again. I'm going to just constantly call out your conditioned perfectionist tendencies to try to be perfect, right? Does it have to be 28 days? No, it just has to be regular for whatever is normal for you. Um, okay, so the infradian rhythm, how does this affect, how does our, these four phases affect our brain chemistry or our metabolism or our stress response system? Let's start with metabolism because I think it's so interesting when we look at the food, right? Because I, there's this magical food chart that everybody loves in chapter four of In the Flow that really tells you which foods to eat in which of these four phases and why. Um, but here's the premise. Your infradian rhythm modulates your metabolism speed, right? So the assumption that has been made forever in the fitness and diet industry, again, because women have not been researched, is that women's metabolisms are slower compared to men, and therefore we need more calorie restriction compared to men. And of course, we all can really trace a pretty straight line from that assumption to our obsession with dieting mm -hmm. and feeling like that's the way that we have to sort of take control of our body. But what's interesting to, to know are the facts. And the facts are that in the first half of your cycle, which is the follicular and ovulatory phase, the way that I look at it um, in, in the book, and I explain why that is um, for some of you who are practicing fertility awareness method, you know, there's many ways. It gets a little con convoluted in the sense that um, in conventional medicine, we call the first day of your bleed day one of your cycle. and that's fine if you want to count, if you're doing for, you know, if you need to know exactly when ovulation is coming and you're counting and you're charting and that's fine, you can still do that. But from an energetic point of view of what's happening, the, the bleed is the end of the journey, the end of the process. When the bleed is happening and, and when you're not trying to conceive, that's, that's the end of the cycle. And then a new cycle begins. So to think about the, you know, day one it doesn't make sense to also have that be the first phase because it's the last phase of the process, right? So in the cycle syncing method, we refer to the follicular and ovulatory phases as the first and second phase of the cycle. So that's the first half. And in that half, your metabolism is slightly lower. So you'll notice in the food chart, you're going to be encouraged to eat lighter meals in the recipes and the meal plans on the back of the book. It's like lower calorie meals because you don't need as much metabolically. That's what, that is the diet that is optimally matched, synced with that phase of your cycle. We take it a few, a, another step further in the process, in the ovulatory phase, because you have this, the biggest surge of estrogen that you'll have at any time of the cycle, that puts a lot of burden on your system if you are sluggish, right? Meaning your liver has to break down all that estrogen, your large intestine has to move it out through the bowel, your lymphatic system has to clear it out through the sweat. There's a lot going on. And if you have had a history of being exposed to xenoestrogenic chemicals or taking synthetic hormones, or you have hormonal issues and you're slightly estrogen dominant, how do you know? Well, if you're breaking out 
during ovulation or having lots of breast tenderness or ovarian pain, it's likely that you're dealing with a little bit of excess estrogen. So what I did in the food chart was really uh, front load the diet, for example, during the ovulation phase, not only with fewer calories, but to help the liver, the large intestine, the lymph really sweep out and break down that estrogen. You're going to be eating more raw and more plant-based meals because that's what's ideal for that phase. And it's a short phase. It's like three, four days, right? So it's yeah. not like you're going to be raw vegan for an entire week or something, but you're going to eat lots of plants, lots of smoothies, lots of salads, actually things that you likely feel very comfortable eating from the diet culture during ovulation. Then something really interesting happens. After ovulation, the infradians of rhythm is, again, modulating our metabolism and it speeds up. So your metabolism, as soon as ovulation is over, now your metabolism speeds up. You need more calories, specifically 279 more calories per day, according to the studies. So this hunger that you were reporting, Rachel, yeah. that's right on track with your luteal phase leading up to your bleed. You need more calories to do this enormous thing that your body is doing during the luteal phase. What is it doing? It's building an entire lining inside the uterus called the endometrium from scratch. Now, how does that happen? It doesn't just happen like out of thin air, right? It's coming from the foods that you're eating. So you need more calories and you need more nutrient-dense foods. So the, the diet shifts in the luteal phase. And again, this is the longest phase, 10 to 12 days. You're going to be eating cooked root vegetables or cooked grains, cooked leafy greens, to, again, to help with the estrogen elimination, but in a different way. Um, you're going to be eating good quality fat. You're going to be eating more proteins, everything cooked, everything easy to digest, and everything about stabilizing your blood sugar because you your metabolism has sped up. This will prevent you from having PMS. This will prevent you from having brain fog. This will keep your energy buoyant and magical. This will prevent you from having um, like binge eating episodes where you are like, okay, I'm going to eat my smoothie and my salad. And then come dinner time, you're stuffing your face with whatever's in the pantry. And, and you're going to really experience a completely different premenstrual phase, one that is what nature designed you to experience, which is like symptom-free. And then in the menstrual phase, it changes again, five, four to seven days while you're bleeding, you're going to eat lighter, but cooked and more nutrient dense. So you're remineralizing um, and, and helping to restore the body during this cold, it's cold. It's a cold season from a Chinese medicine point of view. So you're eating like soups and stews and things that are going to help you keep your energy going. Is that why I've been really cold the last couple of days? Yes. Like I'm in yes. a sweatshirt right now and sweatpants and it's the middle of May. And I'm like, George, are you cold? And he's like in a tank top and like, like, little shorts and he's fine and like I have like chills and of course I'm like I'm getting COVID-19 like I'm dying I'm <laughs> cold. but it makes so much more sense that like oh. your body temperature is just I've never tracked my basal body temperature like regularly and so I'm assuming it's probably on the lower end during this phase yeah it's subtle it's not like you know I mean I think I think you're in a process of regulating and 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 I also just want to I was chuckling at the fact that this COVID thing has made us all feel, I think, very scared when you get a symptom that you're like, is it that, you know, and I just, it's overwhelming. But, um, but at the same time, yes, this is this feeling of feeling warmer or cooler is something that, you know, thousands of years ago, 
you know, the traditional Chinese medicine practitioners observe about women going through their cycle. They also talk about it from the vantage point of the uterus itself, that there's sort of a hotter time of the cycle and a cooler time. And so the food also reflects the, the dynamic needs of this inner shift that's taking place. And it's really remarkable when you synchronize your eating from a caloric, like so from to, to take care of your metabolism, the way that your body is actually functioning, right? As opposed to what we've been doing, which is ignoring what our metabolism is doing and just calorie restricting as much as we think we can accomplish. As someone who's been obese, right? I tipped the scales with my PCOS at its height at 210 pounds. I'm five foot six. I've been able to maintain a 50 something plus pound weight loss, right? For 20 years because I don't ignore my metabolism. I do what my metabolism needs. And half the month, it needs fewer calories and I can restrict effortlessly. And the other half of the month, it needs more. And when I do that, because if you keep restricting in the second half, what happens is you turn on fat storage. So if any of you have been thinking, well, gee, maybe I'll just keep getting away with calorie restricting and it'll be fine in the second half, like my willpower, whatever, that's fine. I'm sure you're capable of doing anything you put your mind to. But the reality is, biologically speaking, metabolically speaking, you will turn on fat storage. So if you've been asking yourself the question, gee, I'm so diligent, I'm so good, I, I don't indulge. But you, the scale is not doing what you would like it to do, whatever that is. This is why you're ignoring your metabolism and it's, it's having a detrimental effect. I would almost just think that if you're going to, if you're in tune with your body, like you're, and you're going through each of the phases, you'll know, like, okay, I'm not as hungry on these days. And like, here's why. And like, I'm hungry on these days. And here's why for that. Because I know a lot of like my readers and um, listeners have like a disordered eating past. So I know like, caloric like intake isn't something that people like they're trying to like almost get away from but like it's almost you're trying to get so in tuned with your body and it's like real just really just process like digesting the fact that on Sundays you're going to feel different than you are on other days and like that's okay because I think that like perfectionist perfectionist um like the want for everything to be perfect and the same each and every day like definitely stems from something like that like I'm a complete creature of habit like I love having similar things every day. Like I get on like a kick, like right now I'm on a kick of having yogurt with granola. I've, but I also, as, since I started having yogurt with granola, I'm convinced that I was having like a calcium deficiency or something. And that helped bring my, my menstrual cycle on because three weeks into having yogurt, I'm like, I haven't had yogurt in 29 years of my life. Oh, wow. and all of a sudden, oh yeah. All of a sudden I'm eating yogurt every day. And I'm like, why? Like it was the craziest thing. I've never craved it, never been interested in it. But kind of just like learning that your body's going to create different things during different times. Sure. Um, I just, I just want to speak to the disordered eating too, because I spoke to it in the book and I know you read the book and it's something that um, I feel really passionately about that you're absolutely right. That the, the, this thing that has happened, the, the culture that we're in that caters exclusively to the male hormonal biological rhythm, the circadian rhythm only, and leaves us out it has us, again, feeling like the only way we're going to be okay is if we somehow live as if we only have that circadian cycle. Because, you know, when I look at, you know, this is not a political comment, but when I look at what, how should we define the patriarchy from a biological point of view, it is one in a society in which caters to that 
biological rhythm, right? And that becomes like the dominant culture. And so you as a young girl in your pubescent years, you are um, subconsciously interpreting this societal information and processing it through your heart and your emotions. And you you make a decision that can sometimes um, look like, well, in order to be okay, in order to survive in this patriarchy, I better be the same every day. And, and in order to be the same, you have to put so much pressure on yourself because you are not designed biologically to be the same every day. And then that becomes its own um, you know, dysfunctional kind of experience, right? The disordered eating is absolutely, I think, an, un, an outcropping of that. And I think it would be really healthy to have more conversations about the fact that this, this oversight of the infradian rhythm and not educating our young girls about it has a psychological and emotional impact on them as they go through the uh, the turning on of their second clock, right? Um, because you do change from be- having that same 24-hour clock like every kid and every adult male to having this second clock, the circadian and the infradian, and no one's talking to you about it. So you then put all this energy into trying to be the same and you can end up maybe having some disordered eating as a result. A lot of women who have had some issues with disordered eating have found the cycle thinking method with food, especially to be very deeply healing because it gives you a framework to understand yourself and to understand yourself as perfect the way you are, right? Because this is just, this is your design. So, you know, if we can acknowledge that men are designed one way, we can also acknowledge we're designed a different way. Here's how our design works. And then you learn how to start, like you said, getting intuitively connected to, oh, I know you, when you have the language, you can start to interpret the, what's happening in your body better. Like, oh, okay, my ovulation phase, I'm feeling this way, right on time. Great. I'm going to eat this way. And look, that feels really good. You build positive biofeedback with your body and you understand how to interpret it. You become fluent in yourself, in your biology. And then you develop a very different relationship with yourself. And I would ask, can you imagine if you had been given that information at 11 or 12, you know, you could ask yourself, you know, how would your relationship with your body and food be today had you been given this information at the beginning before you had to go through this whole, you know, getting lost in the forest of the patriarchy and the wounding that comes from that? Um, I think it's an interesting question. Uh, I mean, it would be sure. so different to like, you know, I remember standing in fifth grade in the hallway going into health class and that was when we learned what a period was. And I remember people were making jokes that it was like grammar, like punctuation, whatever, like, oh, you have a period and like no one sat there and explained to you like how you were going to be feeling. They basically just like said your uterus is going to bleed and like here's the pad or the tampon that you can use. But to be able to know like how to treat your body during like all those different phases you're already confused when you're adolescence like trying to find who you are mentally let alone figure out who your body is but even to go back to like the food piece you know the, one of the reasons why I love the cycle sinking concept is all foods are really considered equal in that like you're not cutting out grains you're not saying like don't eat for 16 hours not saying go keto like I personally live a very labelist lifestyle like I love foods that are gluten-free like you were, I was just telling you before I gave Ezra's piece of a grain-free toast and no we're not a grain-free house like I also have sprouted wheat bagels and like I love rice cakes like I we love all different things and I love that you include everything within that because it's intimidating and it's a form of like 
of orthorexia to be so fixated on these labels and having this and everything being so perfect. And I think it's a great way to just all foods are equal. And I know I've heard you say before that just because if you in the ovulatory phase, you quote, like should be eating to alleviate symptoms and feel your best, like more raw food and like, uh, like not cooked, but that doesn't mean you have to eat that way all day, every day. Like Correct. If you want some cooked food, right. like just emphasize like on those and yeah. still have. I call it front want. loading. It's like you exactly. front load, like have as much as feels right to you. And also I love what you just framed there too, with the, with the list. that's the list. The list is the list, right? But then you are the environment in which you start to put those things into the foods from the list into your environment. And you have to decide like, what if you have a grain allergy and there's grains listed? Well, obviously don't eat those grains, right? Use the root vegetables instead. Well, what if you have an allergic reaction to strawberries and that's listed? Don't eat that, right? So the whole point is I am maybe in, in a way that seems something we're not familiar with, I am trusting your intelligence and wisdom as a person who's in your own skin to know what's right for you. I give, I'm giving you the guidelines, but you, you are supposed to take this and make it your own as no, opposed to that. every other diet, right? Every other diet is you're either doing it right and being yeah. a good girl or you're doing it wrong and you're bad, right? You're in or you're out. <laughs> this is not, this is, well, that's masculine. It's very binary, black or white, on or off, in or out. Um, this is a very feminine, energetic based approach, which is, it's a continuum. Even, even switching from phase to phase, like for example, especially between the last day of ovulation and the first few days of luteal, those first few days of luteal phase feel very ovulatory, you know, estrogen's rising, but progesterone's entering the picture. You still have testosterone. You feel very sexually interested. You feel very socially interested. And with all that progesterone, you feel even more relaxed and like happy. So maybe you still want to have a salad one of those days, but as the days creep on, you're going to notice you need more calories, more blood sugar stabilizing cooked food. And it's a fluid thing. It doesn't like, you don't fall off the cliff from ovulation to luteal, it's a transition that you can start to interpret and play with. And it's fun. It, 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 it makes things joyful and not stressful when it comes to taking care of yourself. And let's yeah. talk about intermittent fasting and keto because you brought that up. Yeah. Tell us your views on, especially Just for the record. Fasting. Okay. Intermittent fasting has been ex- extensively researched on men and postmenopausal women. And the benefits are documented, accurate, and enormous. You know, it promotes autophagy in the cells, which um, reduces all sorts of internal stress and inflammation. It improves cognition in the brain. It, it improves insulin sensitivity. It prolongs your life. It is a really good thing for you. If you have testicles and if you have already got, you are postmenopausal, meaning it's been a year since your last period. And if that's the case, you 100% should be doing intermittent fasting the way it's being prescribed because it does create that internal result. The research, however, for women with an active infradian rhythm in their reproductive years is the extreme opposite. It worsens cognitive health. It worsens insulin sensitivity. It um, you know, worsens your metabolism and it can shrink your ovaries. So it's not good for you. And that's why you don't feel good when you do it. And that not feeling good is something you've been conditioned to ignore. 
like, oh, I don't feel good when I eat this, or I don't feel good when I do this. Well, just do it anyway, push through it, no pain, no gain, right? So you have to stop doing that, stop listening to those mantras and put in new ones, which is, um, I'm designed to feel good. And when something doesn't feel good, it's not working for my biology. And so intermittent fasting is not appropriate for you if you're in your reproductive years, especially if you're someone who's trying to think about having children at any time in the future. You don't want to be shrinking your ovaries. And you can do it safely all throughout your reproductive years from dinner to breakfast, which is 12 hours typically. So let's say you have dinner wraps up at seven o'clock and you're waking up at seven in the morning. That's a 12 hour fast. That's okay. Anything past that, we're starting to have negative effects. Well, that's what I almost get not frustrated with the whole like label of intermittent fasting, but a lot of us do that intentionally without even knowing it. Like I usually eat dinner with Ezra like six, six thirty, and then I usually have breakfast the next day around seven thirty eight. Oh my god, I just intermittent fasted for like twelve and a half to thirteen hours, depending on you're good. And like and that's fine, you know, that's fine. as long as your system is regular, but there's a lot of fixation on it. And I think it also I know for me personally, I mean I'm to each their own in terms of like what they want to do. But for me personally, that applies more stress on me mentally to be like, okay, it's not 10 o'clock yet. It hasn't been 16 hours. Like I can't eat that. Like, no, if I'm hungry, I have to eat because otherwise I'm just kind of disrupting your blood sugar. You're jacking up your cortisol production. Let's talk about cortisol production. Let's talk about workouts. You want to do that? Yeah. Okay. So the stress response system is also modulated by the infradian rhythm. So in the first half of your cycle, your body produces lower levels of resting cortisol. In the second half, luteal and menstrual, you produce more cortisol at rest. So why that's important is because when you're choosing which workouts to do, the research shows that doing the right ones will help you turn on fat storage, keep cortisol levels low, and um, help you build lean muscle. If you do the wrong ones at the wrong time, You're going to jack up your cortisol production, turn on fat storage, and turn on muscle wasting. And here's the the kicker. We're doing the wrong workouts, mostly at the wrong time, which is why most of us feel like the scale doesn't move, again, if that's something you're concerned about, or feel like we're not gaining that fitness, that lean physique that we want, you know, of more lean muscle. And we feel inordinately much more anxious than we want to be. You know, um, a colleague of mine, Gabby Bernstein, she was doing like a poll of her followers about, you know, what, what information do you want from me next? And everyone said they were just so, this was before COVID, before everything. This was like yeah. a year ago, anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. And we're seeing that in the studies too. There's just so much more general anxiety that everyone's dealing with, especially women. And that makes a lot of sense to me now that we've uncovered the infradian effect If you, for example, do that power morning routine that is so popular, right? I have a whole article on morning routine. Don't get me started. No, we should (laughs) go because I know we share that same opinion. So I wrote a whole article when the book launched on Thrive Health about why your morning routine, you should like get rid of it. And again, it comes from this male culture. If you're male, when you're sleeping, you make all this testosterone. It is in your best interest if you're male to wake up at 5 a.m. because you're going to have a testosterone surge and a cortisol surge, which means you're full of energy. And a lot of men know when they wake up, they're interested in sex, they're interested in working out, they're interested in like getting active, right? And that's from their hormonal cues. 
But women, for example, who are trying to, and and then that's now being um, sold as a way to become more successful in the day, right? If you wake up and you do this power morning routine, you do your big workout, you meditate, you get into your deep work, you're going to crush the day. Again, perfect schedule if you have testicles. If you have ovaries, this is going to really mess you up, okay? Why? First and foremost, the female brain, which I go into great length to outline how magical your whole biological system is, is so powerful. The female brain is more complex from a wiring point of view than the male brain. And as a result, we need every night 20 minutes more of sleep for the brain to go through its self-cleaning process. So for you, to, if you're in a heterosexual relationship and you want to get up with your partner, your male partner at the same time, stop because you're, you're going to shortchange your brain function for the whole day. And potentially, according to Dr. Lisa Moscone, put yourself at risk, who just came out with a wonderful book called The XX Brain. You're going to put yourself at risk for increased risk for dementia later on in life. So you do not want to do the same thing as your male partner or your brother or whoever is influential male person in your life or any guru talking about a power morning unless you have, you know, if you have ovaries, right? Okay. From a workout point of view, in the first half of the cycle, you can do all the high intensity interval training and cardio you want. You will burn fat that is that is ideal for like uh, your, your muscle energy at that time. And you'll also build more lean muscle. If you do it post ovulation in the luteal phase, the studies are very conclusive that you will turn on fat storage and turn on muscle wasting. So you will literally undo all your hard work from the first half of the month of workouts. You're going to undo it. And that's at best. And so you'll have no change. At worst, you're going to gain weight at the end of the month, which I've seen countless times in my practice. And just so you know, this is not something that's like a nice idea that I'm trying to get more women excited about. This is something that the U.S. women's soccer team is using to train their female athletes because the science is the science, right? This is how it works. This is how your stress response system and metabolism functions as a female in her reproductive years. It would be illogical, unhealthy, and dangerous to not factor that in when you're planning your nutrition routine and your fitness routine, which is exactly what we have been doing, which is why 47% of women are suffering with all of these unnecessary issues. It's okay. not. <laughs> I'm off the soapbox. <laughs> no, I love because I grew up in a household where my dad is very, very active. Like he's the type of dad who would get up five thirty, six o'clock, go to the gym, come back, make his shake, have his bowl of oatmeal. Like every single day, seven days a week, he is the same, same human. But you know, my mom, she likes to sleep until seven thirty, eight o'clock. And my dad would come home and be like, Ev, Ev, get up, time to get up. And she's like, No, like I need this sleep. Like I need that. And it's funny because he would always try and get everyone like, like me or my mom's like work out with him. He gets my brother, which he should be, should have been doing that. But, you know, he has testicles too, but I don't really like, no, like we don't need to rush out the door. Like there's no reason to be doing this. But even now how it relates to even within my marriage is Jordan and I get up anywhere from like seven to seven twenty. Ezra gets up, Ezra really gets us up. But yeah, Jordan always gets up at seven and he like does his business. And I'm always in bed for like a 15 to 20 minutes extra because I just need it. And since you said that, it makes so much more sense because we go to sleep at the same time. Like we don't have a TV in our room. So we always like go to bed together. And even when I, when Ezra, we first brought Ezra home, I tried, like we didn't have a night nurse. Like we tried just doing it ourselves and Jordan had to do it. Cause like I, 
physically could not function the next day without having sleep. And he could sleep two hours, be up an hour, two hours. And like, yeah, he doesn't feel his best, but his impact on his body was beyond different than the impact on me and, and mentally even. It was crazy. You know, what's, really, what's really exciting to hear you talking like this is this is exactly what I would love to see more happening because you're now, you, you're going to be in relationships with the men that you love in your life. And instead of having this strange argument about guilt or shame about, well, why can't you go do the workout with me when I'm doing it? Or why do you need more sleep? You can just be like, you know, stating facts like, oh, I need 20 minutes more of sleep. How are we going to accommodate that in our household? Yeah. Or, um, I'm on a different schedule than you are. How do we factor that in? And here's why I'm in my infradian cycle. You're in a circadian with language, right? When we can name it and claim it, then we can take up more space in our environment and, and sort of push the patriarchy, so to speak, out of our own homes. And then we can have make our own environment, our own relationship, our own home life more inclusive of our biological experience of reality, which is equally valid to those of men. I grew up with a father who I adore, who has been nothing but supportive of me all my life, and two brothers, also the same, no sisters, yeah. right? So I come at it from a total understanding of that too, like always feeling like they were on a different schedule. I remember my younger brother at one point, um, you know, when he was in his early 20s, I think he sort of took on like a side job of doing personal training. He's like, come work out with me. I remember going with him to the gym one time. And he was like, come on, just like do more, do like push it. And I was like, no, you know, and this is even before I even had the language, but I just, I always have had, as you know, this very strong inner voice that has guided me through this journey. And, um, and the no was, and he's like, well, I don't know, maybe you'll just never be fit because you don't want to push not yourself. Not this week, not this week, maybe next <laughs> week. <laughs> but it's really funny. We have a totally different take on fitness. And now, you know, there's a way for us to communicate about it, which isn't binary. It's not you're right and I'm wrong. It's we're equal and different and that's yeah. all good. And I love the inclusivity that can come from that and how that will have an effect on relationships between brothers and sisters, how you'll raise Ezra to be just like cognizant of the difference. You know, it's, it's, it has such an amazing healing effect. Um, and it all starts with us having the name for how our system works. We have a name for this clock. It's an infrading clock. And I have to say, I've been doing a lot of podcasts for the book, talking to medical doctors who've never heard of this before. <laughs> You know what I mean? So yeah. we, we have to name it. We have to own it. And we have to start you yeah. know, putting it into practice in our lives. It's amazing. Well, that's what my brother always says. I mean, really with anything growing up, like when it comes to bowel movements, like period, like I called, I FaceTime my brother. Yeah, she was like, guess I got my, guess what Seth, I got my period on Sunday. And he always says like, whoever I marry is so lucky for like what you have been so open about. That like, I'm going to be a better husband because I'm going to understand everything oh, that they're saying. I love and it's it. true. Yeah. And even like, I grew up in a house where my dad was like a petrified of the tampon box, like not a used tampon, just like the clean tampon like, <laughs> box. He couldn't even see it. And I've gotten him out of his shell, just getting people to like understand, you know, this is just the female body. This isn't it's different than yours, but like, it is what it is. Like everyone should know to like respect the different parts of our, of our cycles. The opportunity um, for inclusivity and equality is really exciting. You know, like, you know, I go into corporate environments and I train teams, mixed gender teams, all female teams on how to 
we haven't even talked about the brain chemistry impact of the infradian um, clock, but it, it, it gives women lots of different advantages throughout the month with cognitive performance, with creativity, with communication. And there's a whole chart in chapter six and seven on how you can manage your time. I actually needed for myself, that's a whole side story of, I needed a different time management system because all the time management calendars that you've ever tried, guess what they're based on? Just the circadian clock. (laughs) So no wonder they don't really work for you long-term. So I built the first uh, time management system. It's in chapter six of the book that incorporates both the infradian and circadian clocks in your time management planning. It's it's game-changing but also even helping you understand what you should be working on at different times of the month. You can do anything at any time, just to be clear, studies have proven that left and right. And interesting that those are the studies that have been funded, by the way. Um, But, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is at certain times of the month you get, because of those boosts of estrogen, for example, certain times will be, you'll have more facility with communication and socializing. So why not do more communicating and socializing when that's easier for you? Because by the way, that's what men are doing every single day. They're doing their workouts when it's easier and gives them better results. They're doing their deep work when it's easier and they get more bang for their work buck. They're doing their socializing when their hormones are lower and that's easier for them to do. That's when they're doing everything. What do you think corporate culture is based on? The male hormonal pattern. Happy hour is when testosterone has pretty much gone away for the day and all they can do is be more present to their estrogen and socialize, right? That's where happy hour comes from. So it's really great to be able to do that. And when I go into corporate offices and teach this, the opportunity for more gender equality in the workplace, more inclusivity um, about, you know, the differences in our biology, it's just really exciting. And I'm so thrilled to be pushing that agenda forward in big corporations. Um, I think there's a, I think this could really be something that starts to shift our culture in a positive way, not only each of us as an individual with our health, but in our relationships with our beloved men, whatever relationship you have with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in the, in the work environment where, where women still struggle a lot with, you know, the, the sort of, it's like, it's just not discussed that, oh, well, if your kid is sick and you have to pick your kid up, like who, and you don't have a nanny, who's doing that? You know, there's just still some of these inequalities or if you're going to breastfeed, where are you going to pump? You know, I mean, the, or if you need to work a fewer hours because that's what's most productive for you, but you have to stay the whole day, right? It's, it, there's, this could be something, especially now with everyone working virtually that gives us an opportunity to rethink how we do work and, and rethink it in a way that's optimizing our productivity, optimizing our creativity. We all have inner timing, you know? I love um, that, the chart that you, I, it was about like, so, when we used to be able to socialize, but I, next weekend, I'm going, if, if all goes well, I should be in the follicular phase and going into my ovulatory phase, like next Thursday or something, according to your app. And I am renting a house for my birthday with my parents in the Hamptons for the weekend. And like, that's going to be the most social that I've been like, obviously we're all keeping our distance, but I'm like, this is great for my face guys. Like I'm supposed to be around people and I'm around. It's going to feel really good all day, you know? And there's also, there's certain days where it's in general that you crave being around people and like you crave being like not, and you don't want to socialize. You do want to socialize, but now just having that almost like satisfaction of knowing like, it's okay that I don't feel like doing these things on this day is, is so helpful. 
Um, I love how it applies to motherhood too. That was a, that was a, cause you know, the argument in a brain, our brain is like, well, yeah, but if I have a deadline or if my kid needs something like I have to just drop everything and do it. And you know, I have a daughter, you have a son as you go through the journey of like raising your child, right. They need different things at different ages and stages. And yes, sometimes you got to drop everything and do what they need. But most of the time, like 80% of the time, actually, you can dictate the schedule. So why not schedule play date or family gatherings like you are when it's optimal for you? Because who's typically making the family calendar? Hello, it's usually (laughs) the mom, right? So like, why not optimize at least that for yourself? Or for example, in the luteal phase with that introduction of progesterone in your brain chemistry, you're much more interested in like doing, getting things done, right? Task completion, right? Why not like do, you know, for example, um, right now I'm doing, I'm in my luteal phase and I'm doing um, all the, the ordering of all her clothes for the next, you know, the summer season and shoes and everything that she needs. And it takes, I, you know, I research like several different websites where I put a whole, it, I go into it. Right. And so, <laughs> I, but I'm like enjoying that now because I'm doing it in this phase. It's been on my to-do list for two weeks so that yeah. I would know to do it, you know, in this phase. And so why not? plan all your mother duties and domestic duties. And I put a chart also in the book for motherhood because I have been so delighted at how much that's helped me really keep my balance as a mom and not overextend myself and not feel drained all the time. And, and I think that's a, something that we as women need to, to consider, especially when we're raising children. We got we to, you know, as they say, put your own oxygen mask on first. Yeah. Um, it makes a big difference. Now, in terms of the phases, could we just quickly talk about both like sex during each time of the month and also like the discharge? And because I feel like that's almost they're one in the same in yeah. some ways. In some um, ways. Starting with the follicular phase, because I'm also trying to learn. I had a lot of different interesting new to me discharge um, and kind of like what they mean, like what it means when it's really sticky, what it means when you don't see anything for a couple weeks and to know that that's okay. And just if you could. Yes. Well, that chapter, that that the sex chapter came out of the statistic that I was shocked to uncover, which I wrote about a couple of years ago on the Flow Living blog, which is that 60% of women are sexually unsatisfied, you know, and why that is, is, well, it's not when you're looking at it from the fact that none of us know about our infradian rhythmic effect on our sexual response and our libido, right? So since we don't know that, again, we expect that we should feel the same all the time when it comes to sex or our sexual response or sexual desire. We expect that we should be the same, but we're not. And so that's where we run into problems. So what women do feel is, oh, sometimes it's like fireworks and sometimes it's really flat. And I, and you feel like completely in the dark as to why that is. And I am going to just open up the curtains and put on all the lights right now. Here we go. So you have these four phases, as we've talked about, um, you have two wet phases and two dry phases. And then you also have testosterone in two phases only. And so this is going to affect, um, a lot of things like how you engage in, in sexual play, right. During the dry phases, for example, you should not have the expectation that you should easily get lubricated. And in fact, you would have, you should have the expectation that you might become sexually, like from a genitalia point of view, very irritated or experience pain without 
starting out of the gate with whatever sexual play you're doing, with whether that be alone solo play or with a partner, with you have to have lube at the beginning if you're going to get to a place where you're starting to make your own lubricant, right? Yeah. So you want to start with, you don't want to wait for it. You don't want to say, no, I can do it. You don't want to like put any ridiculous thoughts in your head of, no, I'll get there. No, no, no. You might, you, you should expect that during these dry phases, you need to start with that. And those are the follicular phase. That's a dry phase where you might not see any discharge, for example. And interestingly, during the bleeding week, during the menstrual week, that's a dry phase. So if, whether or not you're engaging in intercourse, um, it's a dry phase. And if you are, it's also a dry phase. Um, you're not producing as much lubricant. It's just blood and blood is not lubricating um, as a fluid. It actually dries out as it hits the air and become, can become very unpleasant without the addition of lube. Which lubes to use, of course, organic ones. If you're doing solo play and you don't have to worry about um, condoms or STD protection or things like that, you can use um, a really great coconut oil-based lubricant called Coconu, which is a great uh, female-owned business that I love. And then if you are going to have partner play with uh, condoms or other, other latex-based products, um, you're going to want to use Sustain-based lubricant from the Sustain brand, also a female-founded company, um, who, which I love their products. And I, I think that is one of the best for latex-based lubricants out on the market that I love, love, love. So you're going to use that during the menstrual phase and the follicular phase, whether it be for solo play or partner play, okay? Then during the ovulatory and the luteal phases, you have, you are natural, these are the wet phases, okay? So you don't need as much lubricant, um, but you still may want to use it because it just might be something that you like having. You should always have it near you if you need it. Um, but you have the, you, what is here aside from the lubric, the self lubrication is the testosterone. And this testosterone hormone is going to make you feel more naturally interested in sex with yourself or with a partner. And it's going to make it where you have a little bit quicker to achieve a pleasurable response and have a little bit more stronger of a pleasurable response more easily. So what that means is during these phases, you need a little less foreplay, not none, but just a little less. In the follicular and the menstrual phases, you need a lot more because you have no testosterone happening in these phases. And in order for you to even get in the mood, it's a whole different game. It's not, you're not naturally in the mood. So you have to actually use your other large sexual organ outside of your clitoris, which has those magical 8,000 nerve endings designed exclusively for your pleasure. You're going to want to use your brain, right? And the infradian effect on brain chemistry during the follicular phase, for example, has you very interested in new things. So if you want to get in the mood with your partner, you might go take a hike, get out in the fresh air, build up that oxytocin and nitric oxide from moving your body. And, and it's a bonding hormone. And you're going to get in your body, get out of your head. And then you might find yourself making out on a park bench after the hike and then going home and having that continue, right? So it's doing something that's a little bit new, that's not part of your everyday routine, that's going to help you get yourself in the mood. And this, again, it's all outlined in the chart in chapter eight. Um, and it can really help, just help you understand how to optimize your sexual experience. Because frankly, 
Um, if 60% of men were sexually unsatisfied, I mean, you remember what happened in the 90s when Bob Dole was doing his PSAs on national television about erectile dysfunction, which affects so few men of the population that, you know, it's just an older population of men who that affects and not all of them. Um, if that was nationally televised PSAs, if 60% of men were sexually unsatisfied, it'd be a national crisis, right? But we're not talking about why 60% of women are, un are sexually unsatisfied. I am. And, here, and here's a solution so that you can have positive sexual experiences every time, reduce pain, genital friction, things that don't feel good when you're engaging. But then also that you can reap the hormonal and neurochemical and immunologically beneficial effects of achieving orgasmic plateau and climax, which you can learn about what the difference of those two things are in the book. They, it, it can transform your hormonal health. It can balance your hormones. It can, it can boost your fertility and, and more. All the things that intermittent fasting do for men and postmenopausal women, consistent orgasmic plateau and climax can do that for you in your reproductive years. So within the like, quote, wetter part of your cycle, the, sec uh, the first half of your cycle. Oh, yes, the discharge. Yeah, like walk us through that because I know there's like, I was like Googling, like, what does egg white discharge look like? What is sticky? Like, because I had never seen, yeah. I, I mean, I did when I was younger, but yeah. I had egg white discharge a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, when you were ovulating, is, I'm like, this is what everyone's talking about. Yeah. I was so excited <laughs> to see it. So yeah, like, I feel like when, when I got a lot of sticky discharge a lot, and I had that for months. So like, what does that mean when you have like, consistent like, like, when do you get sticky discharge? When do you get the egg whites kind of walk us through? So um, the egg white discharge, the, so egg white, raw egg white, okay? So you've cracked an egg, you've removed the yolk, and that clear, if you were to st stick your finger in it and then stretch it apart, it would be this exactly like what your cervical fluid will look like during ovulation. And that's what you want to see. That's a sign of a very fertile, um, you know, phase of your cycle. Um, and that's a few days. Then it changes during the luteal phase. It gets a little more um, cloudy. And that's just referred to generally as leucorrhea. You can look that up. Um, it's just yeah. vaginal discharge and it's perfectly normal, fine. And there's, there, it does not have a fertility component during that time. So what the cervical fluid does in that particular egg white um, fluid that it, it helps the sperm reach the egg faster. It changes the pH of the vagina. It does all these things that help allow the sperm to get to the egg without being killed off um, before they get there. Um, and then any other discharge is just part of your, your, your vagina is a self-cleaning um, ecosystem. And so that's just part of your own vaginal microbiome and how that is functioning. If you have excessive discharge, right? Where, you know, you feel like you need to put a, a panty liner in because it's like a lot or where you feel like it has an odor or you're having different colors. You know, there's, there's a whole article on the blog or the flow living blog that kind of breaks this down, but it, it, it means different things and can mean different bacterial overgrowth. It can mean infection. So you want to, you know, be on top of that, but normal amounts of discharge where you see things when you're wiping on, you know, after you pee, or you see a little bit on your panties, totally fine, totally normal. Again, the vagina is a self-cleaning uh, ecosystem. You don't have to do anything. If you're seeing that certainly do not douche 
Um, I'm pretty sure we all know that by now, but just in case, don't do it. <laughs> You're going to disrupt your vaginal microbiome and that is not going to be fun for you for, for long, long periods of time. So yeah, that's my, my short and sweet on, on vaginal discharge. No, I love that. Um, I mean, I, to me, this is so fascinating now to like actually be able to witness all these different changes instead of just being like, guys, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, now I have a handful of questions that people had submitted and just a little bit of background too on some, like a lot of my community, they don't have regular cycles. So whether that be mm -hmm. from PCOS or HA or whatnot, and a lot of the questions in the beginning are surrounding, are surrounding that. And really over like, what are your tips for someone who has PCOS and, and um, HA in terms of like cycle thinking? Like, I know for you personally, you can relate to the PCOS piece of this. Um, what, like, what do you recommend for someone who has HA and PCOS to like regulate their cycle? So there's a whole um, section, there's a whole chapter in the book about what if you have PCOS? What if you have, what if you're on the pill? What if this, what if that? I would really, you know, really encourage you to find your particular um, menstrual disorder and really look at all the very detailed recommendations there. But in general, the place to start is, you know, if you want to be using the cycle syncing method, as I've been describing it, then you have to have a regular cycle, right? So if you, your cycle is not functional or not regular, then you want to go back to woman code and do some of the, the, the original flow protocol to clean up your, your, your endocrine function so that you can have a healthy cycle. At the same time, you can, if you would like to experiment with it, you can start to use the method in some capacity, right? As you are feeling any sort of energy shift, right? So um, the problem with PCOS, for example, if you have highly irregular cycles, you could have a really long luteal phase. Well, okay, if you really still feel like you're in the luteal phase and you think maybe your period will come, but it might be 16 days, 20 days, then just experiment with staying in the luteal phase piece of the work because what you're going to be doing is focusing on a diet that is stabilizing your blood sugar, which is what you need to have balanced ovulation and progesterone production. You're going to be keeping cortisol levels low, which is going to be really good for, again, ovulation and progesterone. You're not going to be doing high-intensity interval or cardio that could actually again, disrupt your infradian rhythm, even if it's a little imbalanced. Again, stay where, stay in the phase that you feel you have had the last biological cue to know that that's where you're in and see what happens. Because what, what I've experienced with our, with our women in the cycle syncing membership is that by doing that, what happens is they start to improve their luteal phase and their periods come sooner if they're dealing with PCOS, right? Um, so you've got to start to really get involved with caring for your endocrine system, which woman code can help you do. And then, you know, start playing with the cycle thinking method, which in the flow can do. And what do you recommend if someone has HA and they're struggling, they're not over, over, um, exercising and under eating. I know for me personally, I think a lot of it was stress related, um, and kind of learning to manage that. It maybe took a pandemic for that to happen for me to slow down a little bit. But do, where do you recommend they start with cycle thinking if they have HA? Can they start cycle thinking? And, or like, could they start incorporating some of the seeds? Like I started doing seed cycling on my own. I started eating, I have a spoonful of pumpkin seeds and a spoonful of sunflower seeds every single day. 
just to give my body like extra nutrients. I don't know if that's the right, right or wrong. Yeah, no, I think with HA, you know, uh, again, I like to take the point of view of, you know, there's been some depletion significantly enough somewhere in the system that, you know, we've got this breakdown with the hypothalamus, with the pituitary gland, with the ovaries, with the adrenals, right? So really front loading with as many micronutrients as possible. Um, You know, uh, we have supplements at Flow Living that can really help give your endocrine system the basic building blocks that they need to function. Um, Really looking at the basics of the flow protocol, making sure you're keeping that blood sugar stable. You know, the endocrine system functions even regardless of your condition. This is what was so groundbreaking about Woman Code. Regardless of your condition, your everyone's endocrine system is designed to function the same way. It's designed to have to keep your blood sugar stable. Then it's designed to keep adrenaline and cortisol stable. Then it's designed to, to detoxify everything via the liver and the large intestine. And if you start to do those things in order, you start to strengthen the endocrine function overall, and then it begins to to balance itself, which is the experience that so many so many women have when they start doing the flow protocol. That's amazing. Okay. Um, and then my last question on chip, tips when you're trying to conceive and any like fertility boosting tips you have. Oh my gosh. This, I love, you know, love, love, love the cycle thinking method for fertility boosting, because if you are not disrupting your infradian rhythm, if you're eating for each phase of your cycle, if you're doing the right workouts at the right time, you are keeping stress levels way down in the body. You're reducing inflammation. You're promoting regular ovulation. You're optimizing your cycle. What is boosting fertility? Boosting fertility, really, we should be saying optimizing our cycle and, and, and supporting our infradian rhythm, right? It's not this thing of, oh, to boost my fertility, I have to take one thing just for my egg quality. You know, the body doesn't work that way. Yes, there are certain micronutrients that can boost egg quality, but what you want to be doing instead is thinking about the long game. You want to be pr- using your cycle health because it is the fifth vital sign of health. You want to be looking at how can I start taking care of that in my 20s and in my 30s so that I have an optimized infradian rhythm and cycle for whenever I'm ready to conceive because then it will be fast and easy to do that. And that's what's exciting. And we've We've seen a historic um, shift in our fertility as a culture, right? One in eight couples is infertile. Um, idiopathic infertility, meaning no known cause, is on the rise dramatically. Um, and when I look at that, it's really about the degree to which we have disrupted our infradian rhythm so profoundly and made our cycle so much less healthy. Because when I look at the fertility statistics, of course, I track right back to you know, the increased rates of PCOS, HA, um, you know, uh, fibroids, endometriosis, premature ovarian insufficiency, all of these things are on the rise. And why? Because we're eating, exercising, and living in a way that's disrupting how our biology wants to function. And that is what we're going to pay the price for that when it comes for decades down the road for our fertility. I almost feel like now that we're even talking like the diet culture in general, I feel like Matt isn't to blame because we're the only ones in control over our own bodies. But 
I think a lot of these things have really made that number of 47% of women have like hormonal issues has all stemmed from this. If I think about it, my mom's generation and my mother-in-law, they never dealt with any of this. And I think there's a lot of environmental factors to that as well, but they didn't have all these diets and these trends and these crazy exercises to do and this fasting and this and that. They just woke up and lived their lives. Um, and I think there's something to be said for that. Well, Alisa, thank you so, so much. 